Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. Now, I've already mentioned in part um, what has been occupying my thoughts in recent weeks. And so, um, as I've said, there's, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that time is short. Um, when I consider, you know, some might say, well, why, why are you saying that? There's a, there's a number of reasons behind, in my mind, why I'm saying that, and I'm not going to go into all of those now, but I just want to make an emphasis of that point because one thing that I've noted and, and observed um, and, um, um, and I think, uh, Brother Peter, I did receive your email. I forgot to mention to you, but I did receive your email some weeks back. But, and there's other things that I've been watching and uh, observing. And what I have noticed is that um, uh, in relation to the fact that we are in the last days, there are those that, um, uh, are tr- um, well, I would say that they're, they're, they're moving to speculate. Now, we know that we don't know the day or the hour, but, you know, they're talking now about years. And so, you know, people have their reasonings behind that. But at the end of the day, that is still a speculation in my, to my mind. But regardless of that, when you consider the points, the general points that they're making and some of the other things that are going on, and here we are in the year 2021, and you understand the creation that was 4,000 years before Christ, we are 2,000 years um, after Christ as, as now. And so we're talking about God made the world in six days and he rested on the seventh and as a thousand years with the Lord is like one day. And we have the millennial reign of Christ that is going to be ushered in with his second coming. And when you consider all of those things and you start to look intrinsically at what's going on in the world, I'm telling you now we are at the very last stages of the second before the Christ is going to come back and going to return. I mean, it is uh, so sobering to think about this. And so, and this is what's being pressed upon my heart. And I was, the Lord continued to deal with me. I felt a degree of conviction and challenge and, uh, from the Lord in relation to some of these aspects because the, 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 the night comes when no man can work. And so there's lots of things for us to consider in relation to this. But one of the things that we find that concerns the last days in Scripture is there's a, an emphasis where the Bible talks to us and it tells us that uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as you see the day approaching, you know, as is the manner of some to do that. And what we, in these last days, in, in the closing days of time before the Lord's return, what is required in the Bible is that we remain in fellowship. Isolated is not the way to go. You know, people who are isolated from the flock or from the people of God or are, not, or, or are withdrawing from the assembling of themselves, this is dangerous. 
especially the Bible says, as the day is approaching, because the, the emphasis is, is that we're going to need each other more and more and more. And so the fellowship of God's, God's people coming together as a church is critical in these last hours before his coming. So there's great emphasis there. So church fellowship is vital. But there is something that's more vital this morning that I want to address as we come before the Lord. And, and it's something that uh, has again been uh, occupying my thoughts. And so what could be more vital than our fellowship with one another? Our fellowship with God. Amen. Very simple. Our fellowship with the Lord. Or in other words, our relationship with God. Because that is what Christianity is about. It is Christ in you. Jesus said in John 17, 3, that eternal life is knowing God. And so the issue of relationship with Christ and with God in this instance is critical, especially in the days in which we live and that which is coming in the days ahead. And this is important for us to consider this. And so the question I want to pose to us all this morning is a simple one, but, but nevertheless it needs to be asked because we know what human nature is like. The disciples were told to pray and what were they doing? Sleeping. And so we're told to be watchful, be sober, and be serious in our prayers and these types of things we're exhorted to in the scriptures. And so the question is, is to us each individually, is how is your relationship with God? How is your relationship with God? How is your prayer life? How is your um, reading of the word? Because this is critical in the days in which we live. And as I was thinking about this and pondering it, you can't help but think of Enoch in the book of Genesis. Enoch, we know, is a prefigure of the rapture in that he walked, the Bible says that he walked with God. And, God, and his testimony was that he pleased God, so God took him and he was not. And so he was raptured. God just took him, snatched him away. And so this is, uh, is, is not only is it symbolic of the rapture, but it also teases us something about the fact that Enoch walked with God. He was in fellowship with God. He was in close communion with the Lord. And that is the key behind these aspects. And so when we look at the Christ's return, there is an emphasis on us all this, uh, this morning, individually, not outside of the corporate element of our own relationship with God. This is important. Let me illustrate it this way. When, a, when you first get married, you marry the person of your dreams. They're just wonderful. And then very quickly, you know, you realise that, uh, it, that, that to make a marriage work, you have to become, grow together in your relationship with one another. You have to grow deeper. And this doesn't happen overnight. This takes years to mature and to develop, but it is a constant thing in which we invest in one another and we build that marriage relationship. And so this is the same when it comes to Christ. The Bible says we are married to Christ. We are saved, praise the Lord. But my question to us this morning is, are we deepening in our relationship with God? 
Are we growing in the knowledge of God, in the grace of God, as we are told to? Are we maturing in our relationship with Christ? Because this is important in the days ahead and in the days in which we live, especially these last days. If we're going to remain composed, if we're going to remain strong in the Lord, then our internal life with God must be in order. Can you say amen? It is important. And so I want to consider this because otherwise, in terms of what's coming upon the earth, and we see it already, men's hearts already beginning to melt from fear. But that's nothing compared to what's coming. Coronavirus is just, is, is really, in the scheme of things, is, is, is nothing compared to what's coming. And in saying that, uh, if we are not strong and if we are not in, 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 in close communion with the Lord, then we will be found wanting when these days come upon us. So I want to consider with you this aspect of knowing God or our relationship with God in the context of the days or the end times as we know them. And I want to look at John's Gospel, chapter 14. Gospel of John, chapter 14. This is a appropriate portion of text for us to consider this morning. Verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go... And prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Then Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? We'll leave it there in our readings. Father, we ask, bless the word this morning. God, quicken it to our own spirits, Lord. Minister, God, to each individual. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, in our text in verse 1, we find the words, Let not your heart be troubled. This is Jesus speaking to the twelve, and so the context obviously relates to that which is proceeding, because Jesus is now letting them know that his departure is at hand, that he's going to be handed over, he's going to be crucified, that he's going away. And so as he uh, is expressing this and explaining certain aspects to the disciples, they are becoming sorrowful. They're becoming a little overwhelmed by the, the reality of this. Having spent three years with Christ, I mean, you could understand becoming now so attached to him, living with him in the manner in which they have. And so now he's talking of his departure. So Jesus is anticipating and sensing their overwhelmingness at this that uh, this reality, and so he says in chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. 
Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus is seeking to reassure them. And, uh, and it's interesting in the manner in which he does so. Because he says in the context of those words, let not your heart be troubled. He explains to them why. And it's not the fact, well, listen, I'm just, I'm going and so um, everything's going to be okay. But rather, he gives them a promise. And uh, really what we find in these few verses of chapter 14 is the first recorded, the first recorded words of Jesus speaking of himself coming again. And in this instance, he's saying, I am coming back to take you. And so this is the, the word of hope. And this is what we know as the rapture in the Bible, the doctrine of the rapture this morning, where God, Jesus Christ, will return and he will come and he will gather together his, his own. And so this is where, for the first time, Jesus is planting this prophetic seed in the hearts and minds of the disciples because now he's already fulfilling the prophetic in relation to his first coming. But now he plans a seed regarding his second coming. And he, and, uh, but in this instance, he's making an emphasis to his disciples about him coming back to receive them to himself. He says in my, verse 2, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not, uh, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again. Now he says, I'll come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Now this is very important to distinguish and make a distinction of what we are dealing with here because there's a lot of conjecture regarding the second coming of Christ. And as well as we know at the day of the Lord that is revealed to us in Scripture. But I want to make the point this morning that what Jesus is talking about here in John 14 is not in relation to the day of God's wrath. Although in his, uh, in the day of wrath is coming, and I believe that that day is set forth over a period of time. But outside of that, we are dealing with something significant here. We're not dealing with the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord in Scripture is spoken of a day of destruction. It is a time of God's wrath. It's never, the day of the Lord is never spoken of as a promise in terms of it being good or comforting. It's devastating. It's destruction. It's disastrous. It is a time where God loses his patience and God's wrath is, uh, 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 has been uh, brought to its fullness and is beginning to be poured out upon the earth. But you see, the Bible says to us, his people, we have not been appointed to wrath. That we will, not, we will be rescued from the wrath of God in the same way we see the shadows and prefigures of this in the Bible, uh, in terms of Noah, in terms of uh, Lot uh, um, being brought out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, Enoch himself just being translated. These are all types of what we call the rapture. And here's Jesus, he's speaking about not the day of the Lord in chapter 14. He's talking about a time in which he will come to receive his people to himself, his church. And this is a promise that has been introduced for the first time in, in clear words here. It's built upon in, further in the New Testament, but we find it here in chapter 14. 
We know it as the rapture. It is spoken of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. When the Bible speaks about, um, it, it makes a distinction in terms of the day of the Lord in chapter 5. But it then talks about the Christ and his coming and uh, with the sound of an archangel, with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And those that are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air and we shall be with him forever. Where I am, I'm coming again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is in direct connection with these words in John's Gospel, chapter 14. This is Jesus' promise to his church, his people. This is our confidence, this is our hope. And so I'm making this emphasis because we're talking about the last days in which we're living and the fact that Jesus is coming back and God's wrath is coming and, uh, and, and what we see in the world today, these are just the beginning of sorrows. These are just the birth pangs of what is to ultimately to come. But you see, the rapture, as we know it, is a rescue from the day of the Lord. It is a rescue from his wrath when it is poured out in full strength upon the unbeliever and upon the wicked world in which we live. And that's what we're looking for, amen? We are awaiting the trumpet sound in which we will be with the Lord forever in a fulfilment of John chapter 14. Amen. So in light of that, in the meantime, we have the days in which we live. We have our relationship with God. We have the fellowship of the believers with one another. And these are all critical to our spiritual well-being in the days in which we live. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. And that is his promise. We have the Lord, he's with us. That's why it's so critical that we are walking with God, that our relationship with God uh, is growing and deepening. Now, there's something that I want to point out here in, in our text. Because we have 12 disciples, as we know. But I want to look closely at two that are identified here in this particular text. And they are two, what we would call probably the two pessimists of the group. You know, like any group, you've always... My wife will say I'm a bit of a pessimist. You don't have to say amen. <laughs> but... Um, but nevertheless, uh, you have Thomas, and he says, Lord, uh, he says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how do we know the way? And then you have Philip that will speak in just a moment, but you have two disciples that are demonstrating something here that is uh, forthcoming, and it's not a good, it's not to be commended. It's not just, as, it's, you know, I looked at just sincerely just asking the Lord. No, it's not based on that. Jesus' response shows us and teaches us something different. And that's what I want us to identify here. Because in saying this, he puts forth the promise, let not your heart be troubled. I'm, I'm going to come again and I'm going to receive you to myself. I'm preparing a mansion. You will be with me and there we will be together forever. And so you'd think that the response would be, Amen! <laughs> right? Praise the Lord! But no. So Thomas, in verse 5, he says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. 
And how can we know the way? And so we know Jesus' response in verse 6, the famous scripture, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But listen now to verse 7. He says to Thomas, if you had, if you had known me, now notice the, the words here, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Wow. Now this is Thomas. And yet who, after, the, after Jesus' death, who's not present with the twelve? Thomas. And what does Thomas say? I'm not going to believe until I see those wounds, those hand nails and, this, this, uh, and this, the thing uh, the side and his feet, those, those wounds. He says, I won't believe. And we know Jesus appears and then Thomas humbles himself and cries out, my God. But you see, the point being is that, is that Thomas, is, we know him as doubting Thomas because he's not grasping these realities. And Jesus said, listen, if you had known me, he's been with Jesus for three years. He's observed the miracles. He's heard the teaching. He's seen his way of life. He's seen things that only you and I could ever dream of. And he's saying, hmm. He's still questioning in his mind. And Jesus makes the response, if you had known me, meaning you don't fully recognise me yet, then he says to him, you have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And so in other words, Jesus is saying, he who, and he goes on to say explicitly, he who has seen me has seen the Father. The Father is in me, I am in the Father. But now take note that as he responds to Thomas, Philip is sitting there by the side, by his side. And Philip can't help himself, right? It's like he's sitting there. You get the sense he's just brewing. You know, when the Bible says that of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is what's happening. Philip is sitting there. He's observing Jesus' words. He's seen Thomas respond and what Jesus has responded back to Thomas. And it's like he just can't help himself. So Philip says in verse uh, 8, And Philip said to him, Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be sufficient. That will seal the deal. You don't have to say or do anything else. Just show us the Father. Now what is Jesus' response to him? He said, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me? I've been with you so long, Peter, uh, Philip, and you have not known me. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is giving Philip a stunning rebuke. He's saying to Philip, you've been with me all this time. And you're asking me such a dumb question. <laughs> it's putting it in layman's terms. You've, he who's seen me has seen the Father. You're looking at the Father. And you've been with me for three years all this time and you have not yet known me? It's an indictment. And when I look at this, it teaches me something. It teaches us something about our relationship with God because we can go through the formality of religion. We can go through the formality of church. We can go through the formalities of Christian life. But the question to us is, do you know God? 
Are you building your relationship with God? Because here is these men, three years they're with him, and, they, and Jesus says, you still haven't yet known me. And so we can, uh, this, this, the, this principle is something that extends through the ages and even to every church and every assembly. And the question is, is uh, you've been in church for this long and you don't know him? Or you know about him, you've heard much, you've seen much, but don't you know him? Do you know him? Amen. Out of the mouths of babes, eh? <laughs> now, show us the Father. Jesus responds accordingly in verse 9 as we've just looked at. You see, we've, we have to know the Lord. It's not enough just to know Jesus in a superficial way. I mean, the Bible says as, as, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of God's word. I mean, there is a simplicity to Christ that is so precious. But you see, like in a marriage, as I illustrated earlier, when you first come into relationship with Christ, you must invest in that relationship. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's the basis of what we're dealing with. And so if we fail in our initiative, if we fail to not seek him as we ought to, uh, then, then our, our relationship with the Lord will suffer. And so we can see people that grow and over the longevity of years in their relationship with God and they know him more and more and yet there are others uh, that have been in the, uh, in the church and in Christ for 20 years and yet there's a, still a shallowness in their knowledge and relationship to the Lord that really ought not to be so. You've been here so long and you don't know him? That's the same thing that's happening right here with the disciples and can even be amongst us. You see, what I'm saying to us this morning is, is, is our relationship with God deepening? Is it, is it growing deeper? Is it, are you getting closer? If I could get a little closer to Jesus. Walking by the Saviour's side. I mean, that, this, is to all, this is a word to us all. You know, it was... Um, the late Leonard Ravenhill. And, you know, he, in, his, in his latter years, he had much to say and express about his experience over the longevity of, of his, you know, being a preacher from the young age of, I think, of 14 or 15 or whatever it was and serving the Lord over the course of his life. And in the modern church, as he concluded at the end of his days, they said, well, what, what, what's, what is it that, you know, presses you the most? What concerns you the most as you look out amongst Christianity today? And you know what he said? He said, people do not know God. Listen to that. This is his conclusion. This is his observation. People do not know God. He's seeing a religious world. He's seeing that everyone is going through the, the, the formalities of religion. But he says there's something fundamentally missing. And he says, this is my greatest concern. People don't know God. And when you think about that, it's sobering it's, it, for us to ponder this because when I think about it, I look around at the world, I see re religion as we know it, and one of the things that is clear about religion is it does not foster relationship. We can be religious. We can go through the formalities of religion, 
But again, what makes Christianity so distinctively different is the fact that we have a relationship with God. We know Him. Isn't it sad, as we look at the world around us today, that so many marriages are breaking down? And, uh, you know, and divorce and so forth. And, and, for all, and this, this is not a simple issue. I understand that. And there's many dynamics associated with it. But the point is, is this, is that is, is over the period of time in a marriage, if you have not invested in that relationship, then it will, it will fail. Because you, we need each other. And there's something about marriage that is to deepen, that is to mature over time so that it becomes golden. Amen. It becomes precious that there is a union, not only that union there in, in marriage, but there's a, a knitting together of, of, of the, the husband and wife. And so this is what will uh, inevitably, through any trial, through any um, um, tribulation of a marriage, this is what can bring, that brings us through. But you see, so too, when I think of uh, um, Christianity, if people have not invested in, if you don't pray, if you don't seek God, then as the, the weeks, months and years progress, you will be found wanting. There will be, there, you know, sin will be, lies at the door. And so there's things that will, will, will gain an ascendancy in your life if you are not seeking God and drawing near to him. And so again, the question to us all, to me, to you, is are we seeking him? Are we praying? Are we reading our Bible? Are we abiding in the word of God? Is our relationship with God deepening? Is it getting nourished? Are you drawing near and are you getting closer? You see, Jesus said that he... He goes on to say, actually, in our text, he says, the Father knows me and I know the Father. But if, when you note something about Jesus' life, he is the Son of God who has unceasing fellowship with the Father. But here we have the Son of Man and he comes on the earth, Jesus in his humanity. And as he walks the earth, the Bible tells us that he is in communion with the Father, that he withdraws on, we read, he withdraws on occasions and he spends a night in fellowship with the Father. Or he would awake before the sun would come up, before the day would start, and he would commune with his father. And so you, if, 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 that, if Jesus did that, how much more do we need to make sure that we've got our priorities right in this life? Amen? Because from the moment you get up and the day starts, I mean, we're all going, aren't we? There's just so much to be done. There's so much clamour. There's so much that demands our time. And all of a sudden, you can neglect and drift from the very thing that's of most important. Oh, but I've got to make dinner. And Jesus says to Mary, Mary's crying out, you know, tell Martha that she has to help serve because she's at the feet of Jesus. Jesus says, oh, Martha. What is it? Martha, sorry. He says, Martha, Martha. You fuss about so many things. And he says, Mary, he, she's, she's chosen the good thing. She's sitting at my feet. That's sometimes what you need to do, amen? Just forget what's going on around you and just make sure that you set aside some time to spend with the Lord, to draw near to God, to fellowship with him, to abide in his word and just meditate because of all that's going on, especially in the days in which we live. It was Paul the Apostle he said in Philippians, he said that I may know him. 
that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. You know what Paul meant when he said that I may know him? It wasn't just that I may know him. He had already knew him, but I may know him more, that I may know him more. And really, that's what it comes down to, that we would know him more, that we would get closer. And so again, is this our desire this morning? Because in the world in which we live, I'm convinced in the days that are coming, this aspect of what we're dealing with this morning is critical to our spiritual well-being. I mean, the Bible tells us again about the world and we see around us the world that is crippled by fear and anxiety and all that's going on but in terms of the coronavirus and so forth. But still, in the scope and scheme of things, it is insignificant to what the Bible reveals. And so things are going to get worse. Not could, are. And so this is, uh, in light of uh, until Jesus comes, we are going to go through the, the birth pangs. We're going to go through the labor pains until Jesus uh, comes again, amen. And, and like any woman that's in labor, um, her birth, her labor pains don't get weaker and weaker. They get stronger and stronger. They get more intense in, as, as the time of birth is nearing. And so too for us, it's going to get that way. That's the picture we have in the Bible. And so it's important that our, our relationship with God is as it should be. Otherwise, as these times come upon us, we'll be, we'll be frantic, we'll be gripped by fear, we'll be like the world maybe. And what do we do? You see, we, we are not to be shaken, the scripture tells us. Actually, can you turn to... First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to bring this out this morning. Now, in, in Thessalonians chapter 4, at the conclusion of the cha- that particular chapter as we know it, we have the issue of, of the, the rapture that's being uh, put forth and um, brought before us here. And the, it says in verse 18, Therefore comfort one another with these words. But then Paul shifts and he says, but concerning the times and seasons, in verse 1, he says, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Now, listen, you don't have a need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, this is not the rapture, okay? Now, the reason why, you've got to make this distinction and this emphasis because he says in verse 3, um, uh, verse, uh, verse 2, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, that is the world, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labour pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But listen to verse 4. But this is the contrast. That's the world. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that this day should overtake you as a thief. It's a thief in the night, not for the church. It's a thief in the night for the world. Because he says, listen, uh, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. 
He says, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. Look in verse 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath. That's concerning the day of the Lord. God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, which he just talked about in chapter 4. Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. So in other words, Paul's saying that the the Lord was going to come as a thief in the night to the world. They're not looking for him. They don't know what's coming. The day of the Lord is a day of destruction. But you see, uh, but to, to the Christian, we are sons of light. This day doesn't overtake us because we know exactly what's going on and we are anticipating what? John 14, his promise. I'm going to come and I'm going to take you to myself. And this is what Paul's reiterating in its context of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 about the rapture. And then comes and sets in motion the day of the Lord, the day of his wrath. So again, I make the point, church, is that that we, we, we're not moved, we sh- by Paul saying that we shouldn't be moved by these things. But you know what? The, the, the only reason and why you will be moved is by this. He says, don't sleep. Sleepy Christians. Hey? Sleepy Christians. It was Keith Green. He said, the, wor- the, the, the world is sleeping in the dark and the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. And that's what can happen. Paul says, don't sleep like others do. Because if you do, then you're, you're going to be, when things begin to happen, you're going to panic. You're going to react. You go, oh my gosh, what's going on? But to the one who's already grounded and understands when these things happen, we're not, as, we're not moved in that manner. We'll be affected by it. I, there's no doubt about it. But we're not moved internally. We don't go into fits of, of, uh, of panic. Oh my gosh, the coronavirus. Well, it's there and we have to act wisely. I'm not saying anything of that sort and whatever else. But what I'm saying is, is that we don't live in fear. And so this is something that I want to emphasize to us this morning as we consider these things. We're not in darkness. We're in the light. We're sons of the light. We're sons of the day. And so we we, we have to understand that. But there's one last thought that I want to leave you with as I conclude. And this kind of, as I was preparing this message and pondering on it, this thought came to my heart and my mind, and I want to share it with you. Because it's it's the people that are not asleep. It's the church that is awake and waiting that is um, uh, that we will know what to do. We will understand. See, people say, well, what are we going to be doing? Well, I don't know. I can't tell you exactly what's ahead and exactly what we're going to do. But what I do know, and my confidence is this, is when the time comes, the Lord will, know, will show us what we need to do. Right? And so, listen, I want to show you this. In Daniel chapter 11, there's a portion of Scripture. Now, again, it's a, I'm highlighting the principle here. But in chapter 32, I'm not going to go into its context, but it's concerning the last days. But the principle is such. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, Daniel writes and he says, Those who do wickedly against the covenant, 
He shall corrupt with, flap, with flattery. This is uh, talking about the, the Antichrist. But he says, but the people, now listen to this principle, the people who know their God. This is important. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. I'm reading from the New King James. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Now, I want you just to think about that for a moment. Those that know their God shall be strong. Now, in the King James, it says carry out great exploits. But before I look more detailed at that, I want to just draw your attention to another portion of Scripture in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Because we understand there's a reference there to the sons of Issachar, right? And the Bible says in verse 32 of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times, this was their distinctive quality, they had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. So they, in relation to interpreting what was going on at that moment in time, they had an understanding of what Israel ought to do. This is important. What do we do? And so going back now to Daniel, in, in, I'm reading from the New King James. I don't know what you have, but it says that those who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Now, in the original Hebrew, that word great, carry out great exploits is not what the Hebrew word states. That has been added by the translators to clarify or to give uh, clarification to how they're interpreting the word. But do you know what it simply says in the Hebrew? It says, those who know their God shall be strong and do. That's what it says. And just stops it there. They add and carry out great exports to kind of give emphasis and kind of give us an understanding. But it just simply says in the Hebrew, those that know their God shall be strong and do. So in other words, as in the sons of Issachar, they knew what to do. In, in Daniel, those that know their God shall be strong and know what to do. And so uh, who, why, we don't need to live with anxiety. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Sufficient is today for its own worries. But you see, when the times come and when things begin to shift, and if we're still here, the Lord will show us what to do. We will be led of the Spirit, amen, and we'll know how to interpret the times in which we're living. Is this making sense, amen? amen. Because this is what the Bible's teaching us. See, those that know their God shall know, or shall do. They shall know what to do, and they'll be able to instruct many. See, we will be led of the Spirit. The believer in these last days will know what to do, what to say, and how to act in light of the circumstances that are at hand. But you see, the, the emphasis, and going back to my point in this whole message, is this. Those that know their God. That's what it comes down to, church. Those that know their God. You know, we were, we were separated from fellowship for nine months. Nine months we didn't have a church service. And as much as we were benefited from modern technology, which if we didn't, we would, you know, whatever the case may have been, but, but it, it does show us the fact that we, we need to have our own relationship with God. Did you realise that? 
that you need to be able to draw near to God. You need to be able to fellowship with the Lord. You need to be able to experience his grace and be strong in him. Because in, you know, we just don't know what can happen. We didn't. Who anticipated 2020? We don't. But you know what? When you know God, everything's going to be all right. <laughs> and if I die, I'm with the Lord. I win. <laughs> to die is gain. Gosh, bring it on. <laughs> and so I'm just saying, church, let's just have a right disposition. Know God. Walk with God. And we will know what to do. And so build your relationship with Jesus. You see, I want to conclude with the last words in the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation, chapter 22. I want to look firstly at verse 12. This is our disposition. Jesus says, And behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So he says, I am coming quickly. This is the words of Christ, the last recorded words that we find in the Bible, and they are significant. I'm coming quickly. Now look down to verse 17. And the Spirit... And the bride, that's us, say, come, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Meaning now, you can come now. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Come, come Lord Jesus. Come, take us home. That where you are, we may be also. But let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And that's that disposition. And now last words in verse 20. Listen to the final words. And he who testifies of these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Jesus is coming back, church. He's coming back. And... And we are going to be with him and where he's building a house, a mansion for us, and where he is, we will be with him forever. And that is the hope. That is our expectation. That is our joy. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And he's coming. Jesus is coming. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you for the word of God this morning. Lord, in light of all this, oh God, the point that we are emphasizing the, the, that which you want us to hear, Lord, is are we walking with you? Are we in close communion with you? Are we fellowshipping with you? Are we praying? Are we reading our Bible? Are we abiding in the word? As much as the, we, there's the emphasis of fellowship with one another, and that is so critical, but Lord, our relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would all examine ourselves, that we would, Lord, take a, a, a note and, um, of our own lives and make any adjustments that are needed, Lord God, to ensure that we are seeking you, not that we're drifting away, but, Lord, we're getting closer. And so, by God, I pray, bless your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, praise the Lord. Be encouraged. Let's sing a song of victory. Soon and very soon we're going to see the king. Amen? Let's ask the musicians to come. Let's just rejoice in the presence of God.
Soon and very soon. <laughs> soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going. 